When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads, and with me I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief, and together this is our What's the Headline podcast, and man, oh man, I am excited this week, dude. This is one of the best music weeks in news and in real life that I've had in a long time. Yeah, man, just happened in the last few hours too, Um, but I mean, for you especially, um, I think this is a big one, you know, both of us as hip-hop fans, but this is... You know, there's times where we have some overlap. These are two of my heroes, but generally, generationally, these are your guys, man. So talk. Yeah, to yeah, no doubt. Before we even get into that, though, have you been into any concerts since COVID? I went to a small jazz joint in Philly, and I don't know that that really counts. Yeah, that doesn't about- count, man. That's not okay. hip-hop. <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo, yeah, guru would like a word with you, my friend. <laughs> yo, I hit my first shows since... Dude, I can't even remember. I don't even think I saw shows in 2020. It might have been since 2019. Um, and I saw two this week. I went to see Erica Badu, you know, one of my all-time favorites. She did Radio City Music Hall. I got to say it was an interesting set. It was different. You know, Erica, one thing I love about her is that no matter how many times you see her live, and I've seen her probably 15 times, she always tries to mix it up. She's not one that just like does the same playlist, the same arrangements every time, but she doesn't like go Lauren Hill and like make stuff completely unrecognizable, or at least not in a, in a way that like is not satisfactory. She, mm-hmm. she throws in remixes. She'll do a lot of hip hop stuff. Like um, for back in the day, she'll throw in um, Dr. Dre's like, um, um, I, I can't remember one, but he'll, she'll throw in a lot of Dr. Dre stuff. Like she just throws in like cool Dilla stuff. It's really dope. So this time she did a bunch of stuff from "You Can't Use My Phone," um, and she st- she uh, opened up with "Hello," which is why I sent you that so- song of the day uh, on Friday. Uh, but I think one of the highlights for me was that Quest Love opened up the show. Uh, it was supposed to be West Side Gun too, but he wow. didn't show. I don't know what the deal was. Um, but Quest Man. He did what I call like a sample lover's dream, like show, like just all sorts of like breakdowns of like how samples are created. You know, Primo's done that a lot and Quest does it too. And he just murdered it. I put a couple up on on, on the ground, but it was dope. The second yeah, show. Man, I saw that. Oh, well, real quick though. I want to yeah. ask you, I mean, you are the biggest Erica Badu fan I know. Did she, you know, obviously, I mean, that album is by no means new. It's what, like six years old? But, you know, apart from her making that a focal point, was there a song from her catalog or a moment that really kind of surprised you from her set? I think that uh, just really the three songs that she did. She did three songs from that album and it's not a well-known album or actually like in her catalog, I'd say it was probably the least well-received, you know, and so surprising. But what she does, which is good, is she'll open it up live like new america part one that album didn't grab me when it first came out but when she did soldier and the healer live man it changed my whole perspective on the album so 
She's great at that. Um, I'll tell you what hit me differently than usual was Tyrone. Okay. And I've heard it a lot of times, but she just killed it. And the background singers were super dope too. So she do the other side of the game. She did not do other. Yeah, she did. She did. She did do other side of the game. And that was great. Okay. That's one That's of my favorites. Joint. Yeah. Yeah. Word. Word. So you, I interrupted you though. What was your second? Well, and, but I was looking forward to gun too, man. Hearing side A and side B of uh, Hermes, like would have been crazy if he had done that. So I'm surprised. I don't know what happened. That's a weird juxtaposition, though. I mean, you know what I mean? Like a West Side Gun crowd and a Badu crowd, uh, you know, on paper, it doesn't make sense. But if I was a ticket holder, absolutely, I'd be very happy, as I know you were, you know, in theory. I mean, you know, Erica keeps it hip hop. You know, she is, you know, started off as a rapper. A lot of people forget that, but she got bars and she did Love of My Life, too, which was really dope. Okay. Um, you know, she went to the Met Gala with Lil Uzi Vert. Did you know that? Damn, I didn't even realize that. That's so funny, man. Erica, I love the way that she, you know, kind of leverages her celebrity to just have fun and, and kind of do like what if moments. And her brand is flexible. You know, she's not locked into any one thing. She is who she is. She's an artist at, at its core. And uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. So that was really dope. Love Erica. Uh, second show was J. Cole. Saw that last night at Barclays. Cole had some drama early on in the in the um and the tour, we know that Drake showed up, which was a great moment for him, but he has a really elaborate set and it was causing delays. So in North Carolina, he was delayed by two or three hours. I don't think he even went on to like almost 11 o'clock and people were beefing about that, but he was very transparent. He went on Instagram and let people know what the deal was. He said the load in time and the load out time was much longer than he had anticipated. And so it was really making it difficult for them to make their time for shows. And so he put, uh, I think, Philly and Detroit were supposed to happen between that North Carolina and New York. There's something like a nine hour drive to Detroit that wasn't going to happen. So he set new dates for those and just focused on New York. And, you know, uh, New York's a major market, probably the biggest market he's going to hit. Um, he wanted to make sure he was in, in prime form. And he smoked it. It was him, 21 Savage, uh, 21 opened up. Obviously, they did their two collabos. But, you know, you and I have seen Cole together and his energy is like unmatched. I think he's one of the best live performers out there, period, right now. Yeah. Certainly one of the best in his generation. And he more than delivered. And he did like seven, eight songs from the off season. Really focused on bars, so dope, super dope. That's what's up, and and honestly, I think of Jay Cole all the time because I saw him open up for Jay on the um, Blueprint Three tour in two thousand and nine in Baltimore. I drove down with uh, you know some of my close people, and uh, Cole, you know, and, and I think this is true of a lot of internet era artists. You know, you don't necessarily cut your teeth in the clubs like they did in the eighties and nineties. You you make good music, and then you get booked and I'll be the first one to admit, and I would tell, you know, Jay this to himself, Jermaine, like it wasn't a great show, um, but he was and he was doing an arena tour. The lights were still on. They're still folding chairs on the floor. Like after him was like, you know, Tabby Bone, Wale, like it was a progression. And he earned his stripes over time because that show I went to with you, which was, I think, 2017. I was talking about it this morning was phenomenal. And what I like about J. Cole's performance is he doesn't lean into the hit records. He kind of makes the records that he knows the fans like hits. Like I will always remember him doing neighbors, um, which I don't think was like the biggest record of his at the time, 
but the energy that he elicited from the crowd at that tour was insane. So was there, you know, especially with his new album, not having like, you know, a de facto hit to it, you know, great album, but not, there's not one song that I feel like is jumping out front. Was there a joint on there that really kind of brought the house down for Brooklyn? Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, there were so many, the, the, the crowd was hype. I mean, okay. super hype. So yeah. uh, it was like deafening noise, like from beginning to end. And I'll tell you a, a, a really definitive moment. At one point he said, listen, I'm going to go back. He said, you know, you're in a concert and you think you're the biggest fan in the world. And that one joint comes on and like uh, you don't have any idea what the words are. Yeah. <laughs> but that dude next to you is like going off and knows every single word. Yeah. He said, that's it's, it's, it's about to be one of those moments. You know, it's about to be one of those moments. But it's all right. It's all good. Like, you know, it's a lot of words, a lot of songs out there. I got a big catalog. So don't worry about it. But this is for those guys right now. And they did a joint on Friday Night Lights. Um, and, dude, I'd say that 70% of the audience knew every word to the song. Cole was blown away. Like, you could mm -hmm. see it. You, know, you could see in his face. Just like um, he knew the crowd was lit last night. So it, it was a great hip-hop moment. And he stopped down at one point and said, listen, tonight is about bars. You know, I got catalog. I got hits and stuff like that. But there's so many pressure. There's so much pressure to do nothing but the hits. Tonight, I'm just giving you bars. It's a birthplace of hip hop. This is New York. I'm giving you bars. And like crowd went crazy. That's dope, man. I mean, he, his, his delivery on stage is phenomenal. And like I said, I mean, he earns every bit of applause that he gets through showmanship. And, um, you know, it's funny, like, you know, hip hop has evolved so much. You're not just from one place, right? Like J. Cole obviously puts, you know, Fayetteville on his back and, you know, Ville everything. But in a lot of ways, I mean, New York adopted him for a time, just, you know, being at St. Joe's, living there, developing his career. He did the $1, you know, SOB show. I think it was SOBs. Um, you know, he's really cultivated that as a, a second hometown for him. And we see that with a lot of artists. So it's great. You know, it had to probably feel like a homecoming in some ways for him, too. Yeah. And he acknowledged it as such. You know, um, he, he literally explicitly said that it was his second home um what we found was interesting i took my son is that he well one he played both kendrick and drake leading up to coming on stage and the last song that played and the last verse that was heard before he got on stage was kendrick was a uh, baby king featuring kendrick lamar family ties and last thing you heard was that 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 family ties verse which was really really interesting you know he didn't do um, Heaven's EP, so he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't touch that. The song that he played uh, right after he got off stage was uh, Don't Kill My Vibe by Kendrick. Wow. So I was like, huh, what's going on here, you know? That's dope. Um, two other questions. One, no, uh, no, Lute's dropping an album this week. He's got Little Brother on it, one of the things oh, that word. I'm excited for. Um, but no, uh, no Dreamville guest support, no boss. No, there was, there was dream. There was Dreamville guest support. I think boss is still in Brooklyn based in Brooklyn. And so he mm -hmm. came out for, um, uh, what's, what's their song on, on, on the new album together. Uh, not, tri tribe joint. Um, it's not pride is the devil. It's, oh, um, which he did do. Um, I'll, I'll find it. Yeah, but but he also did uh, a joint, one of Boz's joints that he was on, and then uh, Moray came out. Okay. You know, right. um, and he's really really dope live. He came out 
for um, um, my life and just killed it with 21 Savage. It was super dope. One of my favorite songs. Last question. I mean, J. Cole is the Tim Duncan of hip hop. I think that was a great analogy you came up with on the last episode. Um, what is what does the Tim Duncan of hip-hop do for his encore? And, and I don't say that as a spoiler because I'm sure it varies show to show. J. Cole is one of those artists that, you know, like a lot of great musicians can, he doesn't have to stick to a single set list. But last night, what did he end it with? So he ended it with Middle Child, you know, which is, which is you know, his biggest record. Surprisingly, that's his biggest record to date. But he ended with that. Um, he did, he had another one too. I'm trying to remember if it was GMOD, uh, but crowd went insane for that too. You know, uh, so yeah, let go my hand, let go my hand. He did with Boss, um, which was dope. So I was surprised he even did that too. That this total highlight because that's just such an introspective song. But yeah, man, Cole like continues to impress, and I've seen him like throughout his entire trajectory. First time I ever saw him was a showcase that we did at BT South by Southwest. It was him, Big Sean, um, Marsha Ambrosius. Uh, was there? Wiz wasn't there, uh, okay. but uh, Dom Kennedy was there and a couple other folks. And I remember seeing Cole downstairs. We had a VIP lounge. This was Mixtape Cole. His first album hadn't dropped, and he was kind of dejected from this because he was getting a lot of pressure, as you probably remember from media re- reports, to deliver the, the single like they didn't they, the album was ready but they didn't think he had the single and um he did uh work out last night too um which is interesting because i never thought that record really took hold and became what they wanted it to and in right. some ways that album he didn't really take off until the third album you know mm-hmm. like become the j cole that he is today but um i was talking to him downstairs and i was like yo man do, do you know who you are like uh, now I was telling him, like, listen, you restored my faith in hip hop. The warm up is that, you know, Jay selects you for a reason. Like I was really kind of giving him that pep talk and um, he it seemed to register with him, which was dope. So but I saw him there. I saw him at SOBs and I've seen the progression. And I didn't truth be told, I didn't know if he could handle the arena shows. But then once you and I saw that show and then I saw KOD in this, like he is a master at arenas. It might be his best for him. I wouldn't surprise me if one day he's doing stadiums, man. Yeah, I could see that too. And, and you're absolutely right. I saw him obviously, you know, opening up early, early, early Blueprint 3 tour. Then I saw him at South By. And that's why I asked, because I was actually there, you know, New Wiz from, from way back, one of the first people to write about him, both being from Pittsburgh. And there was this moment where in a small club, I can't remember, somewhere on 6th Street, indoors, Wiz walked up to Cole. And I was having a brief conversation with Jermaine. And I stepped aside, as I always feel you should do, like let artists having a peer conversation. But you look back then and I mean, these were two of the guys that came up in the mid to late 2000s and then really actualized their power in the 20 teens. Um, and, and Cole is a much better performer now than he even was then with all of the hype that he had coming in from the mixtapes and all of that. So there's not a lot of artists, I think, that can say that either of his class, that they can get better that much with also that much pressure on them to do so. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And a lot of ways he used to call himself the LeBron. Right. And, you know, he had that kind of pressure because I think he was the first uh, that Jay signed to rock nation. 
you know? Uh, so that was a big, big deal. At first rapper, at least, you know, he'd sign Rihanna and people like that. Yeah. But um, that was the beauty of South by and A3C back in the day too, man. You could just be walking and you had all these artists just hanging out, man, in the streets, you know, like just walking, like pushing their mixtapes to people the whole nine. It was a really pure experience. Super dope. I missed that. Yeah. So looking forward to that again. Word. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So, so uh, but the, 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 the crazy news, and this isn't even fully, fully confirmed, although anybody who was around in that era knows and like, you know, it, it, it's like all over Instagram, the comments are there. But versus their IG posted a silhouette of, you know, one silhouette versus another and said, can you guess who this is? And they, they announced the date of October 17th. And it is very clear that it's uh, KRS-One. I think it's actually the by all means necessary, like album cover silhouette and Big Daddy Kane. I can't remember what photo that is, but it's very, very recognizable. So that's going to be the next versus on October 17th. To my recollection, is this the first 80s uh, 80s artists from hip hop battle? You know, they've done like R&B. They've done, you know, uh, 90s. But but I can't recall an 80s joint. Yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah, certainly like RZA and Premier don't qualify as that. Uh, no, I had too short, but he wanted uh, who did too short go against? Um, uh E40, right? E40, right. But E40 was more, it was more like kind of 90s, Not right? 90s. And even Too Short, I think he got in at like 1989 or so, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, Too Short is absolutely an 80s artist, but I mean, those guys, their their overlap has more to do in the 90s. This is something, I mean, these guys reign supreme, obviously well into the 90s, but they are 88ers. And um, yeah, I mean, just something. And, and this is a really short window too. I mean, it's a little over two weeks notice. There isn't a lot of um, hype because, you know, we've been hearing things about, you know, 50 cent versus TI, which continues to kind of be a sparring match. And then out of the woodwork is that doesn't happen. Boom. We get something like this, which is really a gift from the hip hop gods. Yeah. It's super dope. It is though. I got to say, I'm going to skip around a little bit. I think that the battle people would have wanted to have seen is still eluding us. And, and it's it's a, it's uncanny how this has happened, right? Like they were supposed to battle in person, they never really battled on wax, although they they had some like subliminals that like went over most people's heads. Even in our goat competition, uh, it didn't happen until we did like a like almost like a consolation version. But of course, I'm talking about Big Daddy Kane versus Rakim, right? That's the one that I think most people would have expected um what do you why do you think that didn't happen you think it was it, you think Rakim was asked and, and begged off or what, what do you think the deal was yeah I mean I've been asking myself that question you know since this announced because that really I mean in the back of my mind since versus happened I think you and I even talked about it in the first you know few weeks of versus like because it was I can't remember if it was Kane or Rakim but one of them told Vlad DJ Vlad like yo we'll do it but there has to be a bag involved like you're not just going to do it to do it. And I, I look at it, I'm like, Versus is the greatest stage. Like, this creates the opportunity that never existed in 1988, 90, 91. Um, I have to believe, and I don't, you know, I have so much respect for Rakim, but either they couldn't get it right um, and line it up directly. And, and you know, Kane's down to do it. 
Um, or Kane, maybe, maybe Kane said like, yo, I, I don't, it can't be Rock Kim. I'll do somebody else, but whatever, it's not the battle we wanted, but in many ways, I think this will be, um, the most exciting hip hop battle we've had, you know, since, uh, stop, you know, since, since Dipset and Locks and obviously both New York battles, but this one reaches a different generation. Yeah. It's interesting because we reported on this, um, you know, the two of them spoke about battling in the mid 20 teens. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember some discussion about there, if, if there was a million dollar bag, like a, a pay-per-view million dollar bag on the table, both of them would do it. I have to believe that whatever numbers were thrown about for this one, it was probably going to be the biggest bag and certainly the biggest platform, like you said, that they could have. Um, maybe somebody was holding out for that, but like, you know, just given what Versus does for the catalog, for the culture, for people's reputations, like Fat Joe says all the time, today's price is not tomorrow's price. You know, um, I think that I think that that's a missed opportunity. I really think it's a missed opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, the subtext here, I mean, we've historians will tell you, you know, there, there's a story out there of like Kane helping KRS-One and Miss Melody RIP move. Like even though Boogie Down Productions and Juice Crew, you know, had one of the most storied rivalries and on wax battles of hip hop, Kane was an outlier. I mean, Kane and Chris have always maintained a really interesting friendship. So, you know, and, and it's sort of like Ja Rule and Fat Joe. I mean, those guys, you know, they made New York together. They do these things. There's times where we'll see a versus where there's a lot of animosity going into it. I think this one, neither one of them is going to tuck their tail. I think this is going to be uh, a true showmanship battle. But I think this might be an opportunity, um, whereas Kane and Rakim, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of debate. There's you know, 35 years of barbershop debates and, and lunch table debates and barroom arguing, um, you know, among the fans. So this one, it's a cool consolation, but you're absolutely right. It was not what I expected to see. I think even Swizz early on had been, you know, being a Bronx guy, he's been talking about, you know, Kane versus Rock Kim for a while too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously no shade to either Kane or KRS because both of them, outright are just incredible artists. I just think that each one has a better matchup to, to match his catalog, you know, and subject matter and stuff like that. But nonetheless, this is going to be one I'm looking forward to. I'm going to say something. And, you know, before people jump on me, I'm going to preface it with this. There was probably a four year period in my life where Big Daddy Kane was my favorite rapper. I say probably 19, 19- 87 to 1991 from raw up until cube dropped. And, you know, I've had a number of favorite rappers like over time, my first favorite rapper was grandmaster Melly Mel. No question. Second was LL. Third was Kane. Fourth was, uh, was cube. Fifth was Jay or actually fifth was Pac, then Jay and now Kendrick. That's my that's my lineup in terms of like my favorite MCs of various eras. Do you have that? Did you have who's your first favorite MC? Tupac. Tupac. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and and to to large degree, that's still when 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 pushed, that's still the answer that I come back to. Just because in the mid nineties, you know, Pac had that that oomph, that piss and vinegar, and I loved you know, the way that he commanded the microphone. And I will always maintain, I mean, there's people out there that say Tupac was not a great rapper, not a great MC. And 
I dispute that. I personally do. I, I usually don't entertain getting into that debate because people come in with their preconceived notions. But yeah, I, you're not asking me all that, but that was my first. And um, I will tell you this, at various times in my life, and I'm, you know, I'm 37, so I didn't live through 88 being a hip hop head. I was four years old. But there have been various times in my life, and I'm not sure there have been at the same time, where Chris and Kane have both been in my top five. Mm. Okay. Okay. Has it, have you ever had another favorite rapper? Um, Jay-Z, you know, at times Jay, especially in like the, um, you know, the black album era, you know, blueprint in the black album, Jay really, really took that crown. Absolutely. Um, and now I think, you know, the dust has settled a little bit. And again, I still say Tupac, but I don't, I don't walk around with a de facto number one like I did when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old. Now, the other day, somebody asked me my top five. And, you know, I always say the list today could be different than tomorrow. Pac is always somebody that's there, as is Jay. I believe when I gave my recent answer, and it was on, on, a, on a podcast, I believe I put Kane in there at the time, too. Mm. And what about of this era? You got a favorite? Kendrick, hands down. Kendrick. I mean, you, you and I share that. Yeah, we share Jay too. That's that's interesting. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't put three stacks in there because uh, I know how much cast means to you. Yeah, I'm a big Outcast fan. I you know I, I love three stacks and I, I really admire his his run even after Outcast stopped making albums. Like 2007, Andre is like you know that's uh that's like my Roger Maris season for MCing. Like I'm just like yo off these features and remixes, you killed it. But, you know, it's it's sort of like De La. I put Pasta News in my top five all the time, but I love Dave. You know, I think Dave is, is easily in my top 10 at various times. Big Boy, you know, sometimes when people go all in on Andre, um, Big Boy has some of my favorite outcast verses too. Not to say that those things are related, but oftentimes I think fans can get lost in the lights when they just go with, with Andre 3000 because you take Big Boy off of some of those outcast records and they're so different. You know. Word, word. All right. So that being said, Big Daddy Kane was my third favorite rapper and for an extended period of time. And it's not like I put them on the shelf when it's done. Like, you know, they got a mantle and everyone's got their place for me. That being said, I don't think this is going to be a fair fight. The reason why I don't think it's a fair fight is because I don't think that Kane has the same depth of catalog that KRS does. And Kane himself, you know, we, we um, didn't we, uh, we we did a story where he acknowledged that I think it's a taste of chocolate or, or, or uh, Prince, Prince of, of Darkness, Darkness yeah. Prince of Darkness, that he he didn't even believe that album was a very good album. You know, um, so I think most Big Daddy Kane's who are fans who are objective will say that uh, Long Live the Kane and um, it's a Big Daddy thing are the two albums in Kane's catalog. And there's a precipitous drop-off after that. Yeah. Precipitous. You know, Looks Like a Job for is a, is a really good album. I'm not going to say it's a great album. I don't love the production of that record, but Kane went heavy with the punchline style. You know, when, when Big L put him on, um, you know, the big picture, it made sense. Like, Kane is very much in that Big L, Lord Finesse, cannabis razzcaz like punchline style i mean he's one of the forefathers and i like that album to me that's probably the third best but you're absolutely right and people you know don't talk about they don't they might talk about a song or two but 
um, Taste the Chocolate, Prince of Darkness. And a lot of people don't even realize that Veterans Day came out. Kane put an album out in 98 that was kind of, again, lost in the lights. Whereas KRS-One in 98, to your point, is, you know, one year removed from Step Into a World and kind of a resurgence that he really enjoyed well past Kane's record-making prime. Yeah, and, and I, I forgot about that album too. Now, the contrast though is with KRS, obviously you've got Boogie Down Productions, their catalog, and his solo catalog too, which is significant. Like KRS has put out a lot of albums. You and I probably know better than most. He's put out a lot of albums even in the 2010s. Right. Um, yeah, he's probably got 20, 25 albums in, in, under his belt, something like that. Yeah. Albums, not not songs, albums, um, including the BDP stuff. But then when you think about BDP and the impacts of the albums, Criminal Minded, By All Means Necessary, Ghetto Music, The Blueprint of Hip Hop, Edutainment, um, one of my like favorite slept on joints, Sex and Violence. Like those albums have several classics on each one. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with Long Live the Cane and um, It's a Big Daddy Thing, you probably got four or five, maybe five or six joints on each one. You throw in Symphony, um, you know, Come On Down, a couple other joints that people forget. And I think you're getting to about 12 songs that people would consider to be bangers. Whereas KRS, I think, could put together 20 off BDP alone. And has at least another five uh, or so off of his solo albums, maybe more. I don't know that he's got twenty, and and I mean to hip hop heads, he does. But verse Wait, he is he, he Kane or or, or KRS? KRS twenty with BDP. You really think there's twenty joints there? I think there might be twenty. Uh, I, I think there could be twenty, um, but but definitely with solo stuff too, for sure. I mean, it's interesting, too, because it's like, what crowd do they envision? You know, there have been so many times. I mean, even for me, you tease me all the time on this podcast of being, you know, anti-R&B, which I'm not. But I know that there's certain things contextually that I lack. And I'll come into a versus and I'll watch, you know, Teddy Riley versus Babyface and I'll enjoy it. And, you know, to what extent do those guys play to the me's of the world? And in, when it comes to meat and potatoes, hip hop, hardcore hip hop, you know, Kane and Chris, they have the opportunity to make it a family affair or they can go very esoteric for the heads. And I don't know what they'll do. And I'm very interested because these are two artists that are very improvisational, um, you know, at times with their music and at times with just their delivery. And I wonder how much they'll react to each other versus a set list. You know, we talked about it on the site, what the what the locks did with Dipset when they saw an opportunity, they took it for the kill shot. Um, I'm very curious how these guys will go into this and how much of it will be a tight rehearsal versus kind of free form. And I think if I can take it one step further, I think that speaks a lot to their individual styles. Um, in recent years, I've seen Kane, you know, four or five times in the last 10 years perform. And he has one of my favorite live shows in hip hop, but I must tell you, it doesn't change very much. And, And with that said, I mean, Kane doesn't, he hasn't put out a ton of new music. He'll do features or Lucy's or something like that here or there, but he's got a really tight live show. I haven't seen Chris in the last five or five years. It's in the last 10 I have, but his shows can go anywhere. He is the type of guy that will battle the person that gets up on stage in the crowd, you know, and you know what I mean? Like he can take it a totally different direction. So I'm really curious how they go off of each other. Yeah. Yeah. 
I hear that. Uh, I just took a look. I got at least 10 KRS joints on the first two BDP albums. I, I think okay. he can. I think he can do twenty just off BDP. But okay, let's let but let's let's break it down. Let's go songs first, and then let's go strategy for for the win and what each has to do. So, okay. top five from each. Um, for Big Daddy Kane, I got Raw, Smooth Operator, Ain't No Half Stepping, The Symphony, and Warm It Up Kane. Anything anything you drop in there that that you would substitute? You know, I might go Young Gifted and Black or set it off. And I don't know which one I drop. Maybe Smooth Operator. I mean, I love all these songs, but, um, you know, set it off is such a dope, you know, command and it's high energy. And then Young Gifted and Black, that's that's my favorite smooth cane moment. And, you know, especially right now, that song's going to have a gang of resonance. So Young Gifted and Black is the first song I ever just sat and intentionally learned all the words to. Like, I don't mean just I learned through repetition and just like organically. I mean, I stopped, I paused, I went back, rough, rugged and real, you're on standstill to obey. You know, I mean, um, just like that song is incredible. And just on some lyrical type stuff, I I think, you know, I think you got to have smooth operator in it just because I think the diversity that, that big daddy brings, and he does have that in his favor. He's got songs for the ladies. He's got, you know, um, hype stuff. He's got just stuff with bars. He's got, you know, he's got, he's got the diversity in his repertoire for sure. All right. So there's debate as to what his top five are, but his top five are, are strong and I would put against just about anybody's top five period. Mm-hmm. Um, for KRS, I got The Bridges Over, My Philosophy, I'm Still Number One, MCs Act Like They Don't Know, Love's Gonna Get You. Now, there, there are so many other joints, but what, what would you substitute in for that? So it's tough. Uh, I, 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 love, I love BDP so much. I'm gonna get killed for this. I've never been the hugest fan of Love's Gonna Get You. Like, that's just not been my joint. But I also, full disclosure, you know, didn't live through it as that song was hitting, I didn't watch the way that it transformed culture. To me, you know, I love the title track, Criminal Minded. I mean, to, that's just incredible. I think that, you know, um, what he did with that is like the Beatles with the Hey Jude, like he made it just as famous, that melody. I also think, you know, Step Into a World is, is, is a really powerful song that he could use for one simple fact. It's the most contemporary of all the songs we're talking about. So if it's KRS reminding you that he was hitting in 87 and 97, I love that move. And that song is going to reach another generation. I mean, Puff Daddy did the remix. Um, Those two, either one of them, I'm in favor of Love's Gonna Get You. And I know there's a host of people out there that'll tell me why I'm wrong. The only other one that I thought of is in the conversation is the P is Free remix. And that to me kind of accomplishes the same thing. I mean, that song inspired, you know, Black Star's definition beat. Um, you know, and that's my joint too. I, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, he's got so many joints. Uh, you must learn as a joint. Self destruction. Uh, Out of here. Yeah, sound of the police. Yeah, I mean, dude, he's got he's got just joints just off the top that I can think of. Uh, you know, uh, so classic. The joint with uh, Rakim and Nas and Kanye's verse, 
Yeah. And Chris has got just joint after joint after joint. That's what I'm saying. Just the depth of the catalog. And it's no shade against Big Daddy. It's just you only have so much catalog. Biggie only has so much catalog. Biggie did more features. And so uh, Biggie has a lot more than 20 songs uh, because of that. And the way that, you know, artists kind of like evolved to appear on other tracks. But back in the day, it was a big deal if you were on someone else's song. And so Kane doesn't have a ton of features. You know, uh, Chris didn't have a ton of features before the 90s, you know. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, okay. That aside, what do you think each one has to do to win? So to kind of to reiterate, I think Kane has the showmanship of the tight and choreographed like you know i saw kane in 2016 one of those heineken events at silk city in philadelphia or no excuse me arts garage um and you know kane can still do like i think of david lee roth r.i.p with the leg kick kane is still acrobatic in his delivery um you know you you caught a dope video five years ago today of him at the roots picnic um in new york and Kane, you know, he, he can really give you a show like that. I think if he can do that for the versus screen, it'll make it a lot more interesting than just back and forth kind of energy and, and hands and, you know, that kind of delivery. Um, clarity and coolness. You know, I think one of the most interesting things of KRS-One, um, and this has always been true, is he has so many thoughts but I remember I interviewed KRS one time. I got three questions off in 45 minutes because he can be mad long-winded. And if Kane can play the cool guy, play it tight, um, there's always something really affable about that. Affable, excuse me. And so that's for Kane. <laughs> major, major pause now. <laughs> I'm going to need a 30-second timeout. <laughs> um, for, for Chris, it's the energy. Like in the same way Kane is cool and calm, Chris is, you know, he's like his music. He's, he's loud and in your face and high energy. He can, Chris is capable of doing an album cut or doing a song that you haven't heard and making you like it when you see him live. I mean, and, and he's just the ambassador of hip hop that way. So that's it. Chris needs to curate though. Like if KRS wants to promote one of these new albums versus is not the night, like drop a song and maybe, um, but we, we've seen that throughout the versus saga of like an artist trying to use it as a promotional vehicle of dropping something new and you can really lose the crowd. So KRS needs to understand what people want and give it to them. Um, that's a hundred percent. And yeah, uh, just, just be super concentrated. I think either one of them can have a highlight real moment by freestyling. I mean, let's not forget. It's one of the things that Kane could do, you know, he's often erased when you hear it, but the Tupac biggie, freestyle was Kane's event you know that was a I think a Budweiser show at Madison Square Garden Shaheen the Rugged Child great freestyle there we don't hear those parts but Kane can do that and Chris I mean he's been freestyling for so many of his albums since he left Jive Records that you know he can very easily go off the top and and truly make it a battle if he wants yeah I think it's gonna have to be the equivalent of what Ali had to do with George Foreman you know, it's two completely different styles, but both styles are are potentially lethal. So Kane, to your point, is a showman, can dance, that that jump up, like spin the leg around over like scoop and like land, yeah. like is incredible. And he was still doing it like just a few years ago. Um, like I said, he's going to play to the ladies. 
He's got diversity of it, and he's just like a cool dude to think babyface versus like Teddy Riley. But KRS is a showman too, and you know a lot of people, especially our readers, make the distinction between an MC and a rapper. KRS is a true MC. He is a master of ceremony. He conducts the crowd. This dude can freak like Kane. I don't recall too many true Kane freestyles. I, you know, I, I know we've seen some of them video as of late. Back in the day, most of the things that seemed like freestyles when he's doing the crowd ended up being verses on on songs. Whereas KRS goes out the top all the time. You know, yeah. it's gotten him in trouble sometimes. You know, you remember yeah. the time where the dude got up on stage with the red Kango looking like LL and Kane dissed uh, LL, you know, just in the heat of the moment. He wasn't really Chris trying did. to diss LL. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, um, and he apologized for it, but he apologized in a freestyle again off top. KRS is just that dude. And, and, you know, he can, and so he can, he's going to have the crowd going in a true hip hop way. And, uh, you know, with freestyles too. So, I don't know, man, the showmanship, but so Kane has got to be about technique and and being and floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee. Whereas as as KRS is going to be like George Foreman or Mike Tyson, just a bruiser knocking people out. That's so interesting. I mean, in a lot of ways, KRS, you know, versus has created these opportunities for underdogs. And, you know, I don't look at KRS as an underdog in this battle, but I think in terms of the hip hop conversation, he's been one for about the last five, six years. Um, I see it a lot in AFHs. Um, anytime we've, you know, let our, our readers know when KRS is up to, there's a lot of people that are upset with him for in the early days of the allegations against Africa Bambata, which we recently spoke about on an episode. KRS was very, um, you know, defensive of BAM, you know, and just saying, you know, this is somebody that we should treat as a legend. And, you know, we're in the era of cancel culture. I think there's a lot of people out there that have canceled KRS-One. So if this opportunity allows KRS to remind people of, yo, I, I might have an opinion, you don't agree with it, but I'm going to remind you why I'm great. This could be, um, that, could, that could be a factor because KRS, I've never remembered him being this out of the spotlight as he's been in recent years. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think the two are related. I think he might just not have been working on new material as much before. You know, I don't think most people are going to recall that. You know, um, I do. Yeah, well, they certainly will now. But uh. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I mean, I'm serious. Like, I, I, I agree with you, and I don't bring it up to throw shade in any way, shape, or form. You know, but I see it. Like, anytime we've mentioned Chris, it comes up in the comments, and I think that will be something that plays a factor among the fans in this, you know, truly. Interesting. You know, it's been, it's been really wild to see how this plays out. You know, there are people like Fat Joe who has refrained from playing his R. Kelly songs in a verses. Um, there was another artist that did play like um, our Ronald, the Isley brothers did play R. Kelly joints and they caught a little heat for it, but not a ton, you know? Um, so I don't know, man. I, I think that KRS's fans are KRS's fans and they're not going to, um, this is not going to deter them. Um, you know, we'll see. I, th- I still think the biggest thing for, for Kano is I don't see 20 records. I don't see 20. But, you know, your point about curation and order and strategy is, is, is I, I agree with that too, because there are a lot of people who we think going in are just going to be a slam dunk 
Fat Joe included for me, who just don't execute in a way um, that allows them to win. And, you know, I think people could argue it's hard. The Locks have so many records between them as a group and Mm -hmm. solo records. But a lot of people thought it was going to be a closer fight, but they executed so well because of the energy they brought and the performance and the aggression. I could see Kane. I could see Kane turning it up. And even without all the records, you know, landing enough blows with the 10 power punches that he's got yeah, to make people think he won, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you know, those albums, those deeper cuts on the first two albums are great. And even though people might not hear them or be as familiar, um, the locks did a great job of that. I mean, they, they, they pulled mixtape cuts and, you know, some, some freestyle moments and some remix stuff and they use it to their advantage without losing the crowd. And Kane can do that. I'm really curious in my mind if guests are going to be a thing in this. Um, you know, there have been f- verses early on that have kind of the, the surprise feel. And you mentioned Fat Joe, because I'm like, yo, who would Chris bring? I mean, he can do stop the violence with some of those artists. He can bring out artists that he's influenced. You know, you look at a D nice or you look at a channel live. Um, and then I looked at Kane and I'm like, you mentioned the symphony and it's, you know, the juice crew, although they never put out, you know, an album as the juice crew, they did that at that roots picnic. Like these guys, you know, all show up for each other. And that might be a cool opportunity. Part of me wondered too, one thing, and it's crazy, but I'm going to throw it at you here. You know, Kane was instrumental in Jay-Z's career and it's often understated, you know, Kane brought Jay on tour um they worked together in the late eight you know two brooklyn guys but a lot of the credit as jay's mentor goes to jazz o and and in large part rightfully so if jay came out at this moment on behalf of kane it would be an incredible moment for hip-hop and i often feel you know it was jay that he had kane perform for him at one of those barclay dates right there was that photo of them together he had Um, kane open up for him when when he was opening up the barclays yep which yep. was a really dope thing for Brooklyn and a really dope thing for just kind of legacy in the story. You know, it's going to take a lot to get Jay on a versus. I truly believe that. I don't know if we'll ever see a Jay battle, but let's not forget Swizz and Tim are behind it. Two guys who have made a lot of hit records with Jay. And this is Kane. This could be the opportunity. Um, and if something like that happens, this could be um, the chance. I don't think Big Daddy Kane has a platinum record. You know, he never had a number one. It was, it was just a different era for that kind of hip hop. And if what we saw happen for the locks and what we've seen has happened other times through versus of an artist getting their moment in these times, if the big guns come out, i.e. Jay-Z for Kane, I mean, come on, man, what's fucking with that? Yeah. And, and you could easily see him assembling the juice crew to do the symphony and full something like that would be really, really tough to top. Um, you know, I don't know if Kara's try to recreate, create like a lot of people from self-destruction, but even so, man, still one record, you know, one or two records. You, you got to have you got to have 20. So we will see. Um, that being said, who you think is going to win? Clearly, you know, I got KRS uh, and I love Chris, too, uh, in terms of as, as a rapper, like his music has meant a ton to me over the years. Uh, I think Kane is the MC I prefer, you know, in terms of music. Um, no shade to Chris. That's just my preference but I still would give it to, to KRS just based on the catalog. You know, I, I admire both of these guys and I hold them in such high regard. I've had the chance to tell both of them at least multiple times that they are two of the reasons why I've spent the last 20 uh, years of my life doing this. And I mean that I, I, 
I hold them both in the highest of regards artistically, and they've both been very good to me and gracious personally. I think out of, um, out of uh, you know, sparring with you, I'm going to go Kane on this one because I think he has an opportunity to really get his moment. And uh, let's bet a, a drink or a, a dinner or something on it right here. We're definitely now. betting on this one for sure. Uh, we'll, we'll bet a cocktail at, at our All spot right. near All you. Right. So, uh, okay. All right. I, yeah. What, what are you going to say? I was going to say, let's call it a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Since you okay. got me, I'm going to get you back. <laughs> All right. We'll bet a drink. Um, Yo, know, so since we're giving it to each other, um, <laughs> um, about 18 months ago, you said that you thought Virgis was over and was played out and that they shouldn't do anymore. Oh, man. <laughs> and I'm going to remind you of that every single time. <laughs> There's a moment like this. <laughs> I earned that. I earned that. Uh, yo, they found new and exciting ways to stay relevant. And I'm one of the things that we did say when we had that conversation. And you, let's be clear, you are paraphrasing. Um, <laughs> Swizz and Tim have been very much involved even after the acquisition, which has been huge. And I think the one of the milestone moments of 2021 will be the, 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 the locks and dipset battle because that made versus fun. That showed versus affecting history in real time. It was more than just kind of a, a tribute tour. And I think it proved that this can exist well beyond the pandemic, which I personally believe we are you know, still in. But at a time when people can go out, go out to eat, do things, go to concerts, people are still tuning in. And this is one, as I shared with you on the top of the call, I'm adjusting aspects of my life to make sure I don't miss it. So that tells Word. you all you need to know right there. Word. So that being said, what other artists are there out there that we want to see in a versus? Um, you know, so, okay. We talked a little bit about Rakim versus Big Daddy Kane being the one that we think most people would have wanted to see. I personally think that Public Enemy versus Boogie Down Productions would have been the one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people like to say PE versus NWA, but NWA really wasn't that political. I mean, you had um, Straight Outta Compton and F the, po- the Police, but a lot of their music was not political at all, especially when you start to get into the second album. You know, Q, Q, yeah. Q was political. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little bit, um, but not like PE, right? Like not yeah. like Big Daddy King or um, like um, PE and, and Boogie Down Productions where it was a focal point of their music. Um, I think that Ice Cube versus Scarface would be a really interesting pairing. They overlap with era and and style and and like depth of of substance. I think that one would be incredible. Um, Outcast versus Tribe, I think, would just be one of the biggest ever um, and a real honor. Time to honor Five Dog once again. But what what are some other ones that, that you think would be dope? You know. Uh... I still don't know how Versus is going to operate with an empty chair or an empty microphone, so to speak. I mean, we haven't really seen that, have we? Where an integral part of the group is past. And, and that always makes things weird with Tribe. And it makes things weird even with NWA. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine NWA without Easy, And it's hard to imagine Tribe without Fife. And even I look at the roots and I'm like, you know, I know he was only there for a handful of albums, but Malik B, you know, like, that you can't it's hard to put the roots against another group with only one mc in the root side and i look at that and i'm like yo would it be ill if 
tribe and the roots just kind of out of respect to their two fallen members did a battle um because even recently Questlove said there's one group out there and he said it's not the fujis that the roots would do a versus with and i'm curious like because part of me even wondered if that was de la soul and that's another one too where sort of like red man versus method man um or d'angelo where it's just more of a celebration i would love a native tongues versus where they're not even battling but we just get the opportunity to get all of these different facets to come out and do their music. You get Moni Love, you get the Beat Nuts, you get Chiali, you get all of it. Um, I would love to see. But two others I'll just throw at you as I say that. Um, you know, as you talk about, have we had one from the 80s before? I think it would be really dope for Queen Latifah versus MC Light um, because they're both artists that have, you know, similar timeline catalogs. They're both great, you know, um, performers. I think that could be really interesting. And they were, as I understand it, paired against each other among fans a lot in their run. And the other one, which was discussed last year and didn't happen, is Bone Thugs and Harmony versus 3-6 Mafia, which, um, you know, obviously 3-6 has some members of the crew that have passed, but Juicy J, um, you know, DJ Paul and, and you know, various affiliates, Gangsta Boo, Lashad, et cetera, are still very much around. I think that one would be really cool for the Midwest and down south. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different directions that can go with this. I think there's potential for crew battles, potential for battles of regions or towns. There's potential for label battles. You know, imagine like um, Def Jam versus Bad Boy or something like that. Like there's there's a ton of potential here, but I think Versus is here to stay. And also, I'm not mad at I'm not mad at artists doing more than one. You know, I think Jada kind of started to usher in with that a little bit doing his solo joint with fab and then you know doing the locks versus dip set but you know just like we had our goat battles i think that and just like in a boxing match you take on different opponents i think there's room for for that but um in any case i'm glad they didn't listen to you jake Payne, and, st- and shut it down a year and a half ago Man. and uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I was going to say, you know, Trilla, you can hire us to consult, but uh, I think they won't be ringing your phone now. <laughs> Yo, the crazy thing is that 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 wasn't even the biggest moment of the week, you know, gigantic moment for sure. I think the biggest moment of the week is forthcoming as well. This week was the a week of hope for hip hop, right? We got stuff to look forward to. And um after October 17th happens, we're looking toward February. The Super Bowl announced its lineup of halftime performers. And it's Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and Mary J. Blige. Now, we frame this with just, um, you know, the fellas, uh, Dre and his family tree, basically, and that's no shade to Mary, who, of course, is part of that tree through family affairs with Dre. Yeah. But in many ways, this seemed to me to be framed as Dre Day. And, you know, hip hop is celebrating on this one. And so, uh, you know, no disrespect to Mary at all. Mary's Mary Mary's album changed my life. What's the 411? 1992. Dude, that was a game changer for me. Um, she's one of my favorite artists of all time. But this was a hip hop moment. And I think a, a time to celebrate just the insanity of this kind of lineup on the world's biggest stage. Like literally the world's big, there is no bigger stage, at least in America. I don't know if the world cup final is bigger, but it's between that and this, 
and to have hip hop of this caliber take center stage is incredible, you know? So um, anything else you want to say about that? I know there was some, no, some comments. Great. Yeah. Take. I mean, I, uh, I was behind the article and I know you were, you were out of pocket and I saw a lot of people acting as if uh, we were part of the patriarchy and throwing shine to Mary J. So just a moment, you know, breaking the fourth wall, there's only so many characters to a headline. And uh, there's certainly publications out there that try to defy that. Um, but there's also so many faces you can fit in an image. And we're a hip hop site, first and foremost. We've covered Mary J so many times. I mean, some of our best performing articles. I mean, I think of, um, you know, Amanda Bonita Mester's piece on Method Man and Mary and what that said about, you know, love and black love at the time and how powerful that was. Huge article for us. But we could only cover. And I, I kind of went with, um, you know, we didn't put Snoop's image in there either. But I think it's a massive moment. I think it's an incredible representation of an artist who is well into his 50s, um, a hip hop artist that is headlining the Super Bowl. I mean, we've had this conversation in recent years as Jay put out 444 and Royce and Fonte and, um, you know, Evidence and Smith and Wesson and Master Ace, like all of these hip hop artists that are getting um, older in their years and making great music and not being treated differently because of it. I think this is a huge example on a mainstream stage and I love it. And, you know, I mean, the NFL, I, I read that there was some pushback from the good old boys and girls of America, that they were upset by this. And I love the fact and, and shout out to Jay-Z for his position within the league and booking this talent to remind people out there that, you know, hip hop music is important. It is the voice of many people. Um, and to give him this moment, I've damn sure gotten tired of the Katy Perry's and the cold plays and even Bruno. Like I haven't been for Justin. I haven't been feeling a halftime show in some years, you know? Um, and this one sounds like a moment, a true moment. And I'm here for it. Well, speak for yourself. Like Bruno Mars killed it for me. Uh, I'm also a huge Katy Perry fan uh, and Beyonce, you know, was lights yeah. out, but yes, yeah. I, I agree with you. You know, I want to go back though. It wasn't just about the characters, right? Like we, the characters in the headline, we choose specific narratives sometimes. And, um, I will defend our embracement and upliftment of women in music, women in the world, women in hip hop against anybody, period. I don't think there's anyone who's celebrated it more. In fact, we did an entire documentary, mini documentary about how poorly women were treated in our finding the go MC battle. You know, that that's how much I think we take it to heart. This was a choice to celebrate uh, the house that Dr. Dre built and, you know, what that means. And we're going to get into that. But um, this was Dre's day and we chose to celebrate it. We're expanding now on Mary. A lot of times with our narratives, we'll take different angles at different times on the same story and highlight them in different ways. Uh, but yeah, uh, but enough said on that. Well, can I add one thing too? You know, one of the angles I put in there too, which we haven't discussed yet. I mean, this year began with Dr. Dre having a brain aneurysm and spending quite a bit of time in the hospital. And initially, you know, I shared it on Facebook and that was what I ran with. I mean, there was a, there's, there's 10 different ways you can look at what this means. And I really liked, you know, there's times where we disagree. We didn't even have a chance for a conversation on that. But you you changed it and made it Dre Day, which I like. But that is also the, one of the things that we're not talking about as an artist in a year where we have lost so many of our heroes, our legends, our peers. 
um, an artist who had a very, very serious, my grandmother died from a brain aneurysm, health condition to bounce back a year later and perform on that stage. I love the subtext of that alone. Yeah. Know? And the divorce, Dr. Dre's been through a lot um, this year. But let, let's give this let's give this some context. Right. Um, this is not the first time rap artists uh, or hip hop has appeared on a Super Bowl stage. You know, um, just a, a brief kind of history of pop music in a Super Bowl, you know, is so it's so automatic that people, I think, forget that pop music was not a part of the Super Bowl until 1991. And it's 30 years ago. It's a long time. But the Super Bowl has been going since, I think, 63 or something like that. So there were another 30 years almost prior to that where it was marching bands and stuff like that. And the Super Bowl halftime was an afterthought for you to go refill your, your bottles or your, your snacks and go to the bathroom and stuff like that. It didn't become kind of must-see TV until 1991. And I can't remember um, if this was the same year. It might have been. Uh, I think that In Living Color was incredibly savvy at, at you know, at everything. They, they were game changers in, like, sketch comedy, period. And so many great people came from that platform. Jamie Foxx, Jim Carrey, all the Wayans. We, we, we know all this. Jennifer Lopez. Um but they decided to do a counter program uh, against the Super Bowl where they did a, a live, like kind of 15 minute show. And it was incredible. Um, and it stole the thunder. And I think they actually lost a lot of viewership after that. And so the NFL said, you know, we got, we, we can't allow this to happen. We've got to make halftime a moment because anytime that, that that's a tune out moment, we can't afford. So um, it, whether it was 91 or not, it was around there. And, New Kids on the Block were the first like kind of like pop artists to appear on the Super Bowl stage. Some big artists of the past, um, you know, Michael Jackson followed in 93. I mean, gigantic. Diana Ross, who people, you know, now might not have the context, but she is a, a supreme artist, pun intended, just gigantic, did a Central Park concert that I think drew something like a half a million people, something insane like that. Um, Icon, truly. Boys to Men in 98. Um, if people don't know, remember how big Boys to Men was, go back and look at episode one of This Is Pop on Netflix and you'll see that they were absolutely gigantic. Stevie Wonder, enough said. You two. Uh, the infamous one that people remember is Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake in 04. Paul McCartney, you know, 05. Rolling Stones, 06. Uh, possibly the greatest ever was in 2007 with Prince playing Purple Rain in the rain. Like, I mean, how like how great does it get? Madonna did it in 2012 and, and Beyonce, as I mentioned, was back in 2013, which is crazy that it's that far. Yeah. But in terms of hip hop, um, hip hop has had kind of bit presences, you know, been like guest stars. Or, or, you know, quick snippets or a quick verse here, or like do a like a half a half a song there, that kind of thing. Interestingly, to celebrate women, I don't know that people recognize this. I didn't know it until I started researching this. The first rap artist to ever hit the Super Bowl stage at halftime was Queen Latifah. That's back in, I didn't know that. Back in 1998. And it was part of a Motown showcase. That was with Boys to Men and Smokey Robinson and some other people. But Queen Latifah being on Motown was in 98 and is the first 
hip hop artist, period, um, to to grace the Super Bowl stage. I think that's absolutely amazing, you know, and um, there, there can't be much better reps of hip hop, period, than, than Queen Latifah and all she brings to the table. Uh, but you want to talk about some of the other ones that happened? Yeah, oh one, you had Nelly being a Band-Aid for Aerosmith. Little pun intended for you right there. Um, <laughs> he was back with Diddy in 04 for Janet. BEP, not to be confused with BDP, the Black Eyed Peas were there in 2011. Um, and they were headliners, you know, and I know at that point in their career, and we've talked about this a lot through various stories on the site, they had kind of morphed from a hip hop act to a more of a, you know, pop kind of global world music act. Um, and then more recently, uh, Nicki Minaj and CeeLo in 12 with Madonna. And then 2019, Travis Scott and Big Boy. And that was the year um, where, you know, Jay-Z allegedly did, you know, declined the gig. And um, of course, that was at a real uh, boiling point in terms of just how the NFL was was treating Colin Kaepernick and a bunch of other issues that surrounded that, you know, in terms of race and everything else. So there we are, 2021, where things have um, come a bit full circle. And, you know, I think if you go back to any of those years to imagine Dr. Dre, who, you know, has put out some music that has, um, you know, been very controversial at times to imagine him as a Super Bowl headliner says a lot about just where we are as a culture, you know? Yeah. You know, I will say though, that if you step back and think about it, it's not surprising that if someone is going to break down this barrier of getting this genre of rap on a mainstream stage, it would be Dr. Dre because he did do the same thing 30 years ago or, you know, 30, uh, 29 years ago to be precise with the chronic, the chronic yeah. was top 40 music. You know, it was a number one album on the pop charts. It had pop hits like nothing but a G thing. And Dre day was a pop hit. And, you know, it was on pop radio. For the first time you had unfiltered gangster rap. You know, not MC Hammer, not Tone Loke, not Young MC, not Dig with Melody, not Dig. Yeah, yeah. Um, real hardcore rap music talking about very, very like um, gangster things. It was gangster funk, you know. And I, I mean, Dre is also part of NWA, which again, I mean, this is a contextual thing. I didn't live it, but I look at what NWA did for you know the the LA Raiders at the time and. I, I feel that that was an important step. I worked for Starter for a few years, you know, helping them with their content. And I looked at that a lot of like, you know, that movement made people, you know, be whether it was about the city, whether it was about the colors of matching an outfit or it was about allegiance to a team. It made it, it, it bridged a gap between rap music and hip hop and the league, in my opinion. You know, I know there were certainly instances and references and lyrics before that, but the Raiders still to this day, I mean, too short and Warren G and, you know, there are so many people out there that are diehard fans of them. And I think like NWA had to play a hand in that for sure. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. They, they made a Raiders hat was a symbol, you know, it was a symbol of toughness of, um, you know, being down of credibility, the whole nine. So, you know, thinking about Dre, like, I wonder if any artists, not like label exec, you know, obviously he's done this as a label exec in part, but as an artist who has a greater family tree than Dr. Dre, you know? And so, you know, I guess his siblings would be, you know, NWA and Easy and, and Ren and Yella and Q. Um, but his progeny is 
Snoop, who we put on. You got Daz, Corrupt. You got um, Eminem through Aftermath and then 50 Cent through him and then Kendrick. Uh, and then there are lots of other people who have not had as much impact, like a hitman who's super dope and Above RBX. The law, even age. literally his half-brother's Warren G. You know? Yeah, Warren G. Like I mean, it's it's incredible. The family tree, the OC, that, that uh, the DOC. I mean, I mean, yeah. yeah, crazy. So, is there any artist that you can think of that has a more meaningful family tree in hip hop? I mean, the only thing that like comes close to me is like a Marley, you know. But Marley's a producer. I mean, as is Dre, but Dre has always been front of, you know, front facing too. And I don't think on that level anyone. And um, it's remarkable how he has, you know invented and reinvented himself over time and it's funny too i mean dre takes these these like 20 year periods in and out of the spotlight and i am very curious and this you know you might throw some vegetables at me but you know i've heard a lot recently again you know artists are starting to do it dre has put a series of of instagram stuff up of him in the studio with q-tip or him in the studio with anderson pack who's also you know belongs in that conversation if dre will use this because the window there is a window of making that third album in the chronic, the 2001 series, because I don't think we got that with Compton. That was kind of a sneak attack. And I think Dre has it in him to make another hip hop opera, you know, another, another kind of street symphony like that. And I'm really curious. I mean, he's got his people with him here and there could be a declaration from the stage. I don't, maybe that's trite of me to even think that. I don't know. I don't know if there'll be a declaration from the stage, but a lot of people, you know, we've been hearing chatter about Dre being in the lab um, even more so over the last year. And he himself in the press statement said that um, this is a great way to kick off the next chapter in his career. So I, I do think that there could be an announcement very shortly thereafter, or even the crazy thing, the dope thing to do would be to put an album up right after that. Yeah. I mean, that would just be gigantic. And I don't know why anyone hasn't done that. I mean, that's that's the perfect launching platform. It would be the biggest selling album of all time, like instantly. Um, you know, and if Apple took out Apple took out a uh, or Spotify took out a a um, a billboard, you know, or a commercial right afterwards announcing Dr. Dre's album. Man, it'd wow. be great. And I mean, you know, much to I'm sure Nicole Young's chagrin you know, you don't get paid for these events like Pepsi. You do it for free. That has always been the rule. That's something that the halftime show worked out years ago. So, you know, to do all this, bring in all this star power, it would be really smart. And, you know, Dre is a genius at that, you know, him and his team, which I think includes Jimmy Iovine still to this day, they can, um, they can capitalize. So I know that's pure speculation on both our parts, but I could, I believe more that something will come of this musically offline then it won't Where So the hip hop credibility is clear, but interestingly, one of his biggest records of all time is family affair with Mary J. Blige that he produced for Mary J. Blige. Um, do you, I mean, that's clearly the connection here, right? Do you see Mary doing other stuff or do you think it's, it's strictly family affair? What do they get? They get about 15 minutes all told for the performance. All told it's like 12 minutes. Okay. I can see her getting a medley off. There's no way Mary's hitting the stage and not doing real love um in my opinion and and you know family affair you know that was my mom's ringtone when i was growing up when ringtones first happened and uh yeah that i could see that absolutely happening because that 
that's one of the best Dre productions, in my opinion, especially of the 2000s. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to save all commentary because you know, I love your mom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so in any case, um, you know, see, you know, we mentioned Jay-Z cursorily, but so Jay took a lot of heat in 2019, um, actually in 2020, because in 2020, he, in 2019, he said that he um, had passed up an opportunity when it was offered to him. Mm-hmm. In 2020, he took on a role of issue with the NFL uh, to help curate entertainment for them and, you know, and kind of like, you know, really help to shape the cultural impact of the NFL. Took a lot of flat because they still hadn't resolved things with Kaepernick, Kaepernick yet. Um, they ultimately did uh, settle with Colin Kaepernick for an undisclosed amount. Um and Jay, his first Super Bowl performance was Maroon 5 featuring Big Boy and Travis. A lot of people weren't feeling that. And even Big Boy and, and Travis got a little heat for that. Now, fast forward two years later, Jay-Z, you know, by all accounts, was a big part of putting this together. This is a monumental statement. This is a statement. Football is still very much... Um, you know, the demographics that were present there still drive it, you know, and the mentality of the owners and a lot of the fan base is still there. So like you said earlier, this is a thumb in the eye for a lot of people. This is a major risk and yet they're willing to take it. And I got to believe it's because of Jay-Z. Do you think now that people look at his move differently and give him some credit? Or do you think that people are still kind of cynical or they just don't even remember? I think there will always be, you know, people that, you know, in terms of principle, just won't relent. And there's still people that boycott, you know, um, the NFL. And it's interesting that the pandemic happened because I feel like a lot of folks, um, you know, I never boycotted. I'll, I'll admit that. And there's there's things that I've done, but I, that wasn't one of them. And, you know, I've talked to people that came back to the league because there was nothing else to do, you know, last year. And I think that in some ways this exonerates Jay, but I think there are people out there that are still disappointed that he would, you know, wear Kaepernick's jersey on SNL. And I know there was a settlement, but still work arm in arm with Roger Goodell. Um, and and let, let me add one thing, if I may. Since Jay took that position, there are times, and, and I've talked to people, artists and people behind the scenes, when you watch an NFL game and the NFL runs a commercial, the sound beds that they play, are oftentimes curated out of Rock Nation. Even Royce the Five Nines, Black Savages, which played either in 2020, 2019. I mean, the song was out well before the album. That was used. Rhapsody's music has been used. There's various artists. And I love to see that. I mean, I love to see, just as a hip-hop fan, good representation. And from what I understand, Jay and his team have been behind the scenes helping the NFL do more and put important voices and messages out there. But I do think there are people out there that will not see this as a victory. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, and, you know, there, there are still real issues out there from mm. not only the health issues with CTE, you know, people don't even talk about that, but that's still reality. Um, but, you know, a lot of the systemic stuff is still there. There's a lot of controversy. You know, a lot of people are polarized about them doing Lift Every Voice um, before, you know, the Black National Anthem before every game so there's still a lot of like political charge a lot of racial like tinge around stuff that's football related you know jay though it's interesting that given this 
position he has, he hasn't used it to advance his personal platform. I do, I'm going to make two predictions. Um, and you tell me whether you agree with either one. First is, I think that this is the setup for him to possibly do next year. Because I think that if he had come out of the gate putting himself on the platform, it would have just subjected him to that same criticism that he's just in this for himself. But instead, he puts on the good doctor. He does it in L.A. It makes a lot of sense there. Um, and next year, maybe he finally takes the stage and joins his wife as a Super Bowl headliner. Second prediction is that we might get a taste of that with uh, this Dr. Dre performance with Still Dre. I, I think that that's absolutely going to be one of the songs that they do because it's so big and um, features um, Snoop. But as we all know, Jay-Z wrote that song. And so how dope would it be for him to come out and do part of a uh, of a verse and showcase the fact that that's his work i think yes on the first i don't think you'll see it in 2023 you know i think that the way the super bowl halftime show tends to work is you know they bounce they bounce around from genre to genre demographic to demographic and i have a feeling you know in 2023 we'll see like you know dan and shay you know like you'll see something way off you know on the country or the country pop side um, Taylor Swift, you know, I don't know. Um, but I do believe there's water there. I, I think that, you know, the next time it comes back to hip hop, it'll, it very well could be Jay in his, in his ensemble on the second one. I don't think so. I think Jay is, you know, we've talked about it before in other instances, but I think Jay is very, um, careful with his image and his brand. And while there's very clearly a respect and an admiration that he and Dr. Dre share with each other, I couldn't see Jay coming out in the assist role there, um, especially when, you know, if there's any surprise guests, like what about 50 cent, you know, like he had to be the one like, damn, I didn't get a phone call. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't predict that, but I'll bet you a, I'll bet you a drink on that one too. All right, cool. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, there was something you said a, a second ago. Well, I, I want to know, do you think we're becoming, the, we're, we're going too deep on this and by that i mean yes it is a monumental move for the nfl and i'm sure jay had a huge hand in it all the stuff we just talked about but if you step back and think about it it could also be a passing of the torch of demographics more so than a big artistic statement because again in 1991 or two this was pop music. That means that the entire nation of a generation was listening to it. You know, the color barrier was um, broken. I mean, you saw it on Do the Right Thing. Like you got, you know, people who may even be racist listening to the music, appreciating the, the, the culture for what it is, if they didn't appreciate the people. Um, is this just a reflection of the fact that the people who are now Gen X and, you know, are the buying the buying power of the nation and so forth are the people uh, that you're targeting with this. And this is the, the soundtrack to that generation. I mean, it could be, but I actually think there's depth here. I think there's a lot of strategy and calculation. I think that it's, it's fascinating to get again, an artist in his fifties to headline, but I also think that this, this kind of resets the deck. And I don't think there's any way you're going to get Kendrick Lamar to do for as principled as KDOT is or seems to do a halftime show, unless it's at the behest of Dre. 
And that is not in any way, shape or form to, you know, um, put down Kendrick or, or his moves in any way. But this, this is a, this is a paying it upwards to the Godfather, to the architect, to the roots of that family tree. And it allows it to be Dre's moment, but it allows Snoop and Eminem and Mary and Kendrick to benefit. And I think that's the only way to make sense and check all of these boxes to now, I don't think it's going to, I think we're going to, if the performance is great and it goes over without any controversy, I think we're back to where we were in Y2K of just who it's going to be. It's great. It could be Drake. It could be Jay. It could be Taylor Swift, so on and so forth. Um, I hope that's not too reductive. You don't think that's already there? I mean, you talked about the pendulum swing before, but I don't see this as a massive pendulum swing from the weekend. You know, uh, the weekend is edgy, contemporary R&B, but also, you know, kind of had that hip hop ethos, that mixtape mystery around him in the early 20 teens. Um, I think it's a, a swing in terms of age demographic, but not necessarily like listening demographic. So I don't know. I think we might be past that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, th- this is big, though. I mean, Dre and Snoop are the guys who said bees ain't shit, you know, like, and here you are years later getting a Super Bowl. And I didn't see any pushback on that. I mean, this isn't about censorship or any of that, but it, it, it definitely is a reformation of what pop culture is. I think I think we're agreeing on that. But I think this one's very deliberate. And Dre, I mean, when was the last time Dre performed anything like you know, I mean, he did the Up and Smoke tour. That was year 2000 and 99. Um, man, I'm getting a fly like Mike Pence. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, this this is this is very out of left field for me. And I think it's great for hip hop. Yeah, no, on that, we agree for sure. Um, upcoming, uh, even more so- sooner than uh, the verses is the Hip Hop Awards. BT Hip Hop Awards are coming out um, this week. And, you know, that is always a big moment for us. The ciphers are, are big for us. Uh, you know, it's big for me. I personally had a hand in quite a few over the years. I've attended a ton. Um, you know, really, really fun, interesting aspect of, of the night. But I think one of the things that makes the upcoming one special is that Rap City is returning for one night only with Big Tigger. Um, and you know, we've seen returns of Rap City and other shows like Yo! on TV Raps in the past. Yo! on TV Raps was the reception was so-so because they updated it and it wasn't the classic kind of hip hop that really defined Yo! on TV Raps back in the day. And so they made it a contemporary show featuring today's artists and it didn't resonate because the brand just carries too much weight on the legacy side. For Rap City... I actually was a witness to this one too. It's the time, only time I met Eminem, uh, but Eminem and Slaughterhouse came in and Tigger interviewed them for a special edition of Rhapsody that was within uh, 106 in Park, which was super dope. Um, but this is a big deal. This is, this is, this is, this is Tigger. And I think that it's going to be really an homage to what Rhapsody has meant over the years, but you, you grew up watching Rhapsody, right? Yeah, I mean, I did. I'm I'm of the Joe Claire, you know, Big Les era, and I just remember it. I re- I was just before this news was even announced. I was telling somebody about you know rushing home from school so I could catch it at I think for me it was four o'clock, 
And it was just such an important thing. And I always admired the programming of Rhapsody in those years more than, you know, what MTV had to offer because you could get, you know, you could get an underground video and you could get the, the, the biggest mainstream artists at the same time. And I, I love the interviews. It was just, it was hip hop coming through, um, you know, the, the, the cable and it was phenomenal. Um, you, did you, I mean, were, before you were working in it, what was your relationship like as a viewer? Yeah, man. I mean, I was watching the mid nineties and I'm trying to remember if Prince Dejour was a host. Um, I think it was Prince Dejour even, but definitely Joe Claire. Uh, for me, it was even before the booth and, and you know, the basement. the basement, it was really about like the, the countdowns, you know, the, the countdowns late on a Friday night were everything for me. That's the first time I ever heard players ball from outcast. I searched for that for, for months First time I ever heard distortion static from the roots. That was like my my fix for hip hop back in like 93, 94, 95 or so. And dude, it, every Friday, like I was locked in for that. So Rap City was a time for me. I was, you know, of the young TV rap era too, both Ed and Dre and, um, and um, Fab Five Freddy, you know. Um, so, but I'm excited to see it. I, I do think that they will stick to the legacy stuff and it's meant to open up the hip hop awards. So I think it's going to be a good one this year. Yeah. I hope it's about legacy. I, I often feel that that show goes unrecognized sometimes, um, you know, heads no, but it was so important to me and my generation. And I, I loved it. Yeah. I can remember seeing, I, I loved, so, I mean, this was before YouTube. So I remember, I think on Wednesdays, they would rotate in a lot of um, 80s stuff. And for me, that was, how you saw like the secondary videos that weren't the run DMCs and the LL videos, the NWA, but you know, to see a Bismarcky vapors video or money earning Mount Vernon by heavy D and the boys. Like I love that stuff. And Rhapsody was great for it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So anything else catch your eye this week? No, man. You want to talk about new music at all? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Perfect, man. So, um, one thing I'll say is, you know, we talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about, you know, hip hop's new class, you know, not new, but it's class over the last 10 years of Drake and Kendrick and J. Cole and even Travis Scott a little bit. So Meek Mill, who was part of that class, put out a new album this week, um, you know, Expensive Pain. And what I thought was interesting is, you know, with it, Meek did a interview with Apple Music's Zane Lowe. And Meek said, you know, personally, it's up for the fans to have an opinion. And that's what keeps me going. But, you know, there's a but here that's not said. I don't feel that I get the credit that I deserve as far as the artists. I come from the 2012 era. If you go check the 2011 freshman class cover, and he shouted out their staff, it's me, YG, it's Kendrick Lamar, it's Mac Miller, rest in peace, and Fred the Godson. I thought that's interesting because... Meek doesn't come up in that conversation, but Meek has huge star power. And I know I'm in Philadelphia right now and, you know, that will always be skewed, but, um, you know, did you have a chance to listen to Meek's new album? I haven't, I downloaded it, um, uh, you know, Spotify, but I haven't listened to it yet. It's a good album. Um, but it does what I feel like Drake, we, we called out Drake for doing, not called out, but, but um, kind of reported as Drake is doing. Meek has so many different fan bases. There's people that were with him from the mixtape era. There's people that know him from his pop hits. And I feel that the last few times, um, you know, since wins and losses, Meek has put out these albums that just try to fill a little bit of each of those boxes. And 
you know, the album, it doesn't make my top 15 list at the moment, but there's a song in there I really like. He made a sequel to Blue Notes, and this version has uh, Little Uzi Vert, who you mentioned earlier on it. Love the record. Love what it says about, you know, two artists from different parts of Philly coming together. But uh, yeah, that was probably the biggest release of the week. Also, you know, keeping it in uh, Maybach Music Group. I don't know. Did you hear Wale and J. Cole's new joint? Yeah, I did. I did. It was cool. It did, I, I, I haven't listened to it a second time. It was cool. Uh, and I didn't pay super close attention to the lyrics. I didn't hear anything controversial on first listen, but you know, it didn't um, it didn't move the dial for me like some of the other Cole no, stuff. It's a booty song. I mean, it's called Poke It Out, and it's just about that. I thought that you know, it's a nice kind of denouement to these two guys who you know you you spoke about it recently with False Prophets. You know, Jay Cool kind of called out his man a few years ago. And they pieced it up shortly after. But here they are making music again. It's a Cool and Dre production. Um, it sounds an awful lot like Vibrant Thing, you know, um, Q-Tip song. And uh, interesting, I didn't see any sample credits there. But, you know, uh, credits these days are, are different unto themselves. Yeah, I heard um, that too. I heard that too. Um, you know, shout out to Andy Minio. He put out Neverland 2, which is a sequel to his 2014 album. Um, you put some joints on the playlist and, and I, I really like that album. And I think, um, I think we're in a place and I, I want to say this, that I, I think it's time for hip hop to do away with the Christian hip hop jacket. Um, it's sort of like saying female MC. I mean, we don't sit around and say, you know, the freeway makes Muslim rap or, you know, um, little Dicky makes Jewish rap. Like we don't do that. And you look at an artist like Kendrick Lamar and damn, or, or even more than damn. I mean, Kendrick has been stuck. You talked about this recently. He's been stuffing his music with so many um, allusions and references to the Bible and his faith. But we don't call, you know, Kendrick Lamar a Christian hip hop artist. Or Kanye. Or Kanye. Yeah. I mean, I know Jesus Walks got a lot of love in its time. But in 2021, I look at Lecrae, I look at Andy Minio, I look at a lot of artists and they they need to be liberated from that box. And, you know, there's a lot of great rapping, just period, on this album. And I feel like Andy's been fighting for that for some time. Um, the, my two favorite songs, ironically, are the two you put on the playlist of, of Not Gonna Do and Trying. But I encourage anyone, um, you know, it's definitely got a polish on there. Reminds me at, at times of, of kind of what Drake's doing on the MC side. And what I thought was really interesting is, um, you know, Andy and Lecrae, who are label, rate, label mates at Reach, put out a video called Ben about it, which showed Andy's just devout pun intended love of hip hop and all of the records that influenced him. And that song is not on the album. It apparently got jammed up in a uh, sample thing involving Def Jam that Rick Rubin had to personally sign off on. But yeah, I think that that album deserves credit. And I think that we need to stop looking at a lot of the boxes that we put in hip hop. Um, Yeah, that's an interesting point. I would love to, um, talk with Andy about it. I think we should talk with Andy about it. Like, um, I think we should, you know, see if we can uh, talk to him about it directly. I think that would be dope. Okay. Yeah, I think so. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you, you talked about programming some of the ciphers um, on the TV side, you had gotten a chance to work with Andy a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe I put him in the back room and I definitely uh, met him in the ciphers. I might've actually recommended him. I can't remember, but yeah, I was a big fan of his, um, for sure, you know, in the BT context too. Yeah, so, yeah, we should we should definitely, you know, wrap with them. Talk about perfect. That. Um, just some other new music and note. Uh, you mentioned Dom Kennedy earlier. He's putting out 
on October 15th uh, from Westside with Love Volume 3, which I look forward to. I think Dom is making better music um, today than he ever has. And that says a lot because he was one of the stars of that 2000 and early 2010s kind of blog era and even goes back further than that. Um, you know, Solemn Bingham is an artist I want to shout out. Mellow Music Group, you once compared them on an AFH to Ruckus. I think Mellow has this ability to take artists without proven analytical followings, data-driven followings, and give them a chance to put out art, you know, put out albums and vinyl and merchandise and tour. And Solemn is part of, um, he's part of Marlowe with Laurent, I can never say my French, Larange. Um, both guys, you know, have ties to North Carolina and I've really enjoyed that group. And if it not for Mellow, I probably wouldn't be up on Solemn, but he put out a solo album uh, recently called South Center Street. And I've been enjoying that. The two songs I would encourage people to listen to are Nothing Left and Keep the Hope. Um, and one other uh, artist that I'll shout out to is uh, Meticulous, who heads may know, um, producer, works with a bunch of people, but he put out a new EP, LP, um, shorter project, but full length um, called No Caps, which works with this shirt, I guess. Yeah. And um, he's got Sky Zoo, Kev Brown, Homeboy Sandman, and Ilal Scratch on there. And I encourage anyone out there to listen to Close Range, which is the joint by Kev Brown and Jay Sinide who, you know, we've been covering Kev on Ambrosia for Heads for years. I've been interviewing Kev for, you know, over 20 years. But uh, Jay Sinide is a Ready or Not alum, you know, one of those artists that we tried to really introduce to our ecosystem. Um, so that, and then you put me on actually to D Smoke's new album, which is also on the playlist. And I know I rode, you know, I rode very uh, loudly for D Smoke around Grammy season. You know, I was very much a fan of his, kind of breakthrough project but he sounds like he's in fighting shape too yeah i like this war and wonders album even more than that last album you know uh i think that you know d smoke obviously with that success from netflix i think there were expectations it's kind of like almost a sophomore jinx that you see with like um american idol contenders you know where you are put in a certain box on a show and then when your album comes out, if it doesn't fit within that box, it takes a little kind of time to reformat your brain around what they're supposed to sound like. And I think, at least for me, that's what happened with D Smoke. But this album, and I also think that he was, as a lot of artists are, very much influenced by Kendrick. And you could hear the influence more than you could hear. I won't say necessarily more than you could hear him, but you could hear it enough to be distracting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happened for Logic uh, for me too on the um, every uh, the, the everybody or, or the pre- the pressure yeah. out the, the first album under pressure, um, and obviously having Kendrick with Wayne and so forth. But I think the D Smoke is finding his voice, and um, it's it's really dope. So I really I really appreciate that album. I still have a prediction that D Smoke ends up on TDE. I mean, his brother Sir is there, and you know, especially as TDE figures out what its post Kendrick life looks like, which we haven't got to. Obviously, Kendrick has one more album, but D is an artist on the rise, and you know, we've seen that before with artists putting out albums and kind of been close to the camp and then formally joining. So I like that he's working with other people on there. The joints you put on the playlist have Westside Boogie great artist and uh, Toby Nwegwe, which, you know, you already know, and BJ, the Chicago kid, just three great collaborators. But um, was there any new music this week you wanted to talk about? Nah, man, nothing, nothing besides that. I think, uh, I think it was a great week. I've got a bunch of stuff downloaded. Uh, I listened to 
I'd say probably 60% of young boy never broke again. Sincerely Contrell. Uh, it's cool. I gotta, I gotta give it a few more uh, listens. Uh, I did listen to blue on your recommendation. Uh, interesting album. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lil Wayne and rich, the kid dropped something too. trust fund babies, which I'm going to check out as well. But you know, I got a lot of listening to catch up on. Yeah. I just found out that too, about Wayne and rich. I got to check that out. I've, uh, I, you you put me on in a big way to like Young Dolph and Key Glock over the last few years. And Key Glock has a new single produced by Tay Keith, who is, you know, if there's a reason we know that name. I mean, he's one of the best producers of the moment. And I've been playing that one a lot, too. But uh, yeah, man, do you have a song of the week? Yo, uh, man, it's uh, I, I'll probably give it to Cole. Um, which song would I give him from last night? You know, I've done this before, but I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go with Let Go My Hand. You know, just um, great to hear him do that live. Uh, I I thought Puff might come out at one point, but he didn't. That would have been a a major moment. But it's great to see Cole shining. How about you? Absolutely. One of the best songs of 2021. For me, shout out to DJ Eclipse, who is, you know, uh, an extended part of the AFH family over the years. His rap is out of control radio show is still one of my destinations that puts me on to the music I love. And I'm a huge fan of independent and underground hip hop. Um, But he played a joint last week that has been in rotation. I texted it to you today. It's by Neek the Exotic and Large Professor. I mean, Large Professor is one of uh, my favorite producers, but also among my favorite MCs. You talk about the voice, extra P. I'm so glad that he raps as much as he does but they put out a collaborative album called Extra Exotic. Um, and and Neek, you know, was an affiliate of Main Source for many years, but they got a joint with Pharaoh Munch called Worldwide Street Figures, Street Legends, excuse me. And I've been playing that a ton. Pharaoh opens it up and then Extra P, just two lethal verses. Um, but yeah, I, that one, just, just, just on my hip hop-ish, that's, that's my song of the week, man. That's dope, man. Well, great week. Looking forward to even more. Um, you know, again, a special guest coming up soon. So until that, stay tuned. True indeed, man. Word. Peace. All right, man.